Anderson was able there to engage him. Walking along the wall. Anderson throws it in front. Raskov throws it in front. This goal will score it on the boards. <laughs> All right. It's Friday morning. It's about 16 hours after I wanted to get this podcast up. And instead of Don, Anthony's here today. What's going on, Anthony? What's going on, Steve? Good to be on. It is Season 7, Episode 8, April 7, 2017. Pearl Jam Hall of Fame Day. And I'll talk more about Pearl Jam going into the Hall of Fame and one last thing. On the show today, Damon Hack from Golf Channel is going to talk Masters with us. Obviously, we recorded this interview uh, before Dustin Johnson fell down the stairs. So there are a couple minutes in there. Luckily, we focus most of our Dustin Johnson talk just kind of on his evolution as a player and not necessarily how he'll attack the course this week. Uh, so I don't know that all is lost there, but uh, just keep in mind that David and I were discussing it before uh, we knew there'd be a terrible accident in the home. Uh, book club today, we're going to talk about Cubs Way. Uh, I did get everything sort of finalized. I got a couple of the books across from me right now. Uh, So no disaster there. David Shoemaker from Ringer is on to talk about WrestleMania. Uh, David was in Los Angeles when we did the interview, but apparently uh, cell phone services avoided that area. Uh, The interview is a little choppy because it took me about 45 minutes to edit out all the times he dropped out and try to make it make sense and all that. So I don't know what was going on with his cell reception, but it is what it is, and we plowed through it. And uh, I love having the masked man on anyway. Um, so I salvaged what I could of that. Uh, so it's a busy show. Lots to do. And instead of like we have usually when Don's not around, just going right to the interview. Anthony's here, so we will do three things. Let's play a game. All right. On the count of three. One. All righty. I'll kick it off. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. All right, so as we said, Damon Hack is on today to talk about the Masters, which is a day old. What did you learn, Anthony, about the Masters yesterday? This year's Masters. What? Yeah, well, I learned that. You know, the course was as hard as they thought it would be, and then you just had one guy who was just kind of unconscious and just ripped it apart. So I think, you know, I think Hoffman will come back a little bit. I still think this day, Friday, will be just as tough, maybe even a little tougher just because the course is starting to dry out, be a little firmer, and the wind's supposed to be the same. So I think you'll see today be a little tougher than yesterday even. But, you know, like I said, you had one guy kind of just play out of his mind. Um, but the rest of the field is kind of, you know, bunched right there with the, you know, second place being three under. And, you know, you have guys like Jason Day, Phil, 
Sergio, Westwood, Rory, they're all right there and can make a run. So, you know, except for Hoffman, just, you know, like I said, being unconscious and shooting 65, you know, I still think there's a lot of golf to be played, and I think the conditions will, you know, be a little tougher today, like I said, just course firming up and, you know, with these when these greens firm up and the undulations, it can, it can just get out of hand. So I think we're in for, you know, a, an exciting Friday and an exciting weekend, but, you know, I, I didn't really learn much. You know, it's still Thursday. There's so much golf to be played. You can see, you know, guys can, like Spieth, you know, you can have it going and then make a quad bogey and then be out of the tournament. So anything can happen at any hole. So, you know, it's Augusta more than anything else. It's, you know, you take it for what it is. It's one round. There's still 54 holes we played. So, you know, just kind of just you got to be careful and watch those guys who, you know, shoot 72, shoot 73, you know, maybe come in today and shoot, you know, one under, two under, and just kind of hang around and then make a run. So, you know, I think it's still wide open. But, you know, obviously it's my favorite event of the year. So just excited to watch. Well, the thing about Hoffman having such a great day compared to everyone else, though, is that he set himself up in a situation where if he plays par golf the rest of the way, he's probably a 95% chance to win the tournament. Yeah, but, you know, play par golf for the next 54 holes when you have a a lead and haven't won a major, it's easier said than done. So I think, you know, I think he might come back a little bit today. And even if he doesn't, I still think, you know, it's just tough to go around that course and not make one big number. So, you know, I, I think he he made a lot of birdies yesterday. Like I said, it was putting out of his mind. But, you know, if, if you can just kind of stay away from the double bogeys and, and, you know, and just bogeys are fine here. But, you know, I think I still think anyone can make a big number in any hole. So I, I don't think he's comfortable. I think he knows that he can't just say, all right, let me just par out from here on out because, you know, you'll make mistakes. So I think he's he's got to keep the, the foot on the pedal. But also, I, I, I mean... I think this tournament, more than any other major, the nerves of the lead and knowing where you are, I think it gets to anyone more. And just, you know, how treacherous the course is. It's just a dangerous place to play. And if you just get yourself, you know, out of position and, you know, two bad shots can lead to a double bogey, you know, pretty easily out there. So, you know, great first round by him. 65 good in any weather, especially yesterday. I mean, it was 10 strokes better than the the field average, but, you know, like I said, it can, you know, you can make a double in a heartbeat, so he's just got to be careful, and obviously the studs need to, you know, get a run going, but, you know, if they can just kind of hang around, hang around, you know, I think the lead will kind of come back to him a little bit. One other thing we talked about, Damon and I, was the question of what Jordan Spieth, how would he respond to his meltdown last year, and it looks like he responded with another meltdown. Uh, I know he's a great player, but do you think it's going to take him a while to shake that, or do you think it's unrelated and he just had a bad hole? Yeah, like I said, you know, I was it, it's it's that one hole you get yourself out of position, you can make you know a quad like he did. I mean, if you take that away, say he made a bogey there, he still played a great round of golf. So I don't know. It, Jordan Spieth can can putt lights out and make birdies, so I, I don't think. You know, that's going to get to him. Obviously, he'd like to have that back. But, you know, he's someone who almost, when something happens like that, you see him battle back. And, you know, he leads the tour and, you know, birdies after bogeys. You know, they call it the bounce back stat. So, I mean, he's pretty resilient. And, you know, the fact that that happened on round one, if he can just come in today and just, you know, kind of take care of it and leave himself good positions. You know, I mean, he's, 
I mean, he's as explosive as anyone at this course. You know, over the last three years, he finished second, first, and second. So, you know, I, I think he knows that that was a Thursday mistake, and if he can just kind of, you know, clean it up and and keep going, you know, I, I don't think I wouldn't count him out at all. I mean, a seventy-five like a weather like yesterday, and and that's with one quad bogey. I mean, he played some good golf overall, but you know, like I said, it, it's that one hole, and that can happen to anyone. So I think. The fact that that happened on a Thursday for him, if he can kind of just put that behind him and, you know, just keep chugging along, you know, I don't, I wouldn't count him out at all. I wouldn't count out anyone there, that plus three, you know, plus two, you know, those guys who kind of battled yesterday and got the worst of the wind, you know, that that's a pretty good score. You wouldn't count out the defending champ who's a plus six right now? Oh, well, I mean, plus six is different. I mean, I, I think, you know, anywhere, anyone who shot about like a 75 or, or better yesterday, I think they're really happy with that. And, you know, and sometimes that's just the luck of the draw, right? Guys go out early and then they go late the next day and it's late then early. So sometimes you just get the, the worst of that and the worst of the weather on both days. So, you know, the weekend weather looks pretty tame and normal. So I think if guys can just kind of battle and hang around par, you know, I think on Saturday and Sunday, the scoring conditions will be a little bit better for them. Um, yeah, I, I think six over par, I mean, it's tough to make birdies, especially, you know, they might not even make the cut just given the weather today. You know, but like I said, those guys around plus three, you know, Snedeker, Jason Day, Spieth, Rory, who made a little bit of a run there late yesterday. You know, I think they're pretty comfortable with where they are, and they got that hardest round out of the way. So um, so basically you're saying you know, the I, Masters I, is a lot like the Royal Rumble and that the luck of the draw is maybe the most important part. So, I mean, the Royal Rumble I, I think, is most commonly right. won by number 27. So, I mean, if you can get that right. late draw, that's huge in the right. Royal Rumble. So, I mean, it's another example of sports being like wrestling. Exactly. I guess if you look at it that way, right. correct. Yeah. But, yeah, like I said, the weather, you, some guys just got, will get the worst of the wind on both days just given the draw. But, you know, I think if you just hang around and hang around at a course like this, you can kind of always make some runs and, and just, I guess you gotta gotta hope he, that Hoffman comes back a little bit, which I think he will. But I mean, he's playing lights out, but you know, he's not gonna go out there and shoot par the rest of the weekend and, and just cruise through. I think he's gonna have some struggles too. So, you know, if he can handle it and, and keep playing well, maybe this is his year. But you know, I, I don't think you know this tournament more than other. You don't just crown a guy, you know, after the first round sixty five. You know, it's it's a dangerous place. Plus, he sounds like he should be my wife's uh, parents' neighbor. Charlie Hoffman, like I, I don't know, that doesn't sound like I, championship winning guy. Yeah, I, I, I love how he's wearing all green. You know, I remember when I was there in 2015, he was playing um, in the last group on Saturday with Jordan Spieth, and I was just kind of impressed with the way he handled it. So I mean, he's kind of been in the spotlight there. You know, he was in the final group on a Saturday, but you know, it, it's different when you have the lead on a Thursday and you got to answer those questions and. It's tough, man. It's it's just a really hard place to, to kind of just try and hold on. You know, especially, like I said, it's any hole you can make a big number. So, you know, if he can stay in it and not just try to hold on, maybe he can do it. But, you know, it's, it's so early in a tournament like this. Uh, last night was the first night of the NCAA hockey tournament. And it couldn't have went better for, I guess, fans of hockey. Couldn't have went worse for Harvard. Uh, Harvard and uh, Minnesota Duluth, they played a classic NCAA hockey tournament game. Duluth got a goal of 30 seconds left. Harvard Harvard got an icing with 19 seconds left. Hit two goal posts. 
uh, in that 19 seconds. Minnesota Duluth holds on. They'll go to the national championship and play Denver. I guess the first thing I want to ask you is, as someone who's played in this tournament, would you have rather lost to Mass Lowell in overtime or been St. Cloud and lose 4-1 to one to, to, uh, to Quinnipiac that night? Like, what's... What's worse for a player to to be that close like Harvard was, or to just get beat pretty handily? I'd rather you know lose a close game. I, you know, if you watched the game last night, Denver. I mean, it was I think three nothing after the first, and you know, it's within twenty minutes of being at the Frozen Four, you're pretty sure you're done. It's just discouraging. So I, I would rather kind of play in that tough game and have one you know one bounce or whatever be the difference i wouldn't want to get blown out in a scenario like that you know you've all you know your whole school travels it's just be i don't know i I would rather play a close game and you know have it go the other way just i don't want to get blown out in a scenario like that so i would rather lose the the close game it feels like whoever won that game though is running into a buzzsaw in denver do you think there's any chance of course there's a chance but i mean what, what does minnesota duluth have to do to beat denver who just looks like a team that can score in every line. They look faster and stronger than everyone, and they have a Hobie Baker defender on top of it. I mean, it just seems like a really tough team to beat. Yeah, that was the one thing I noticed, you know, more than any of the other teams in the tournament were, you know, their four lines. You wouldn't even know which one was their top line last night. You know, they were changing in the O zone, so you'd have lines just coming out there and just flying. You know, that that Duluth-Harvard game, I don't think it was the best hockey. It was pretty ugly. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, if Duluth plays like that, it's not even going to be a competition. I think Denver's so deep, so fast. If that if that's what Duluth's going to show up with uh, tomorrow night, it, it could get ugly again. I think Denver's just too much, too fast, too deep. Um, you know, I, I just think they're, they're just on a run kind of similar to North Dakota last year. It's just, you know, it's just tough to be be able to, to score with them and they play so well and you know it, it wasn't even like they were in their own d zone yesterday i mean it was it was a pretty dominant performance so i mean Duluth's gonna have to really bring it and and not make mistakes and i mean it's just tough to compete with a team that has four lines that you know can score and i mean i i just don't see you know a way that denver doesn't kind of just finish this off the NHL and NBA playoffs are basically finally here, especially in the NHL. It's only a couple of days left of the season. Everything is basically decided in the West, except for some seeding things. And in the East, Toronto is looking to maybe choke. They have to play Columbus and Pittsburgh uh, the next two games. They need two points to clinch, and they have two teams behind them uh, with two games left uh, that could pass them, the Islanders and the Lightning, who have Stamkos now. I'd love to see the Leafs choke. I'd also love to see the Leafs in the playoffs. I'm not sure which I want to see more. As we head into the NHL playoffs, what are some things you're looking forward to watching the next couple of months? Does anything jump out? Uh, I mean, I do want to... I mean, obviously, being a Buffalo guy, you kind of you know dislike the Leafs, but you know I would love to see those young guys in the playoffs and kind of see how they react. I think that would give you a good kind of you know forecast of what kind of team they're going to have moving forward and to get that exposure for those guys. I think it that, that'd be a fun team to watch. You know, I, I think you know just to see if Pittsburgh can kind of keep it going and obviously Sid's 
you know, having another ridiculous year and to right. see if they can, Nola Tang. you know, make that. Nola Tang's a huge, a huge hit, especially, you know, on a power play where you don't think, you know, the the defenseman's a huge part of that power play, but, I mean, he's a huge catalyst there. I mean, he's the one who brings up the ice. So I think that will definitely hurt them, not having him, I think, more offensively. Um as a threat who can, you know, join the rush and kind of make them really threatening, you know, in transition. So, I mean, obviously when you have Sidney Crosby and Phil Castle and those guys, you can win. But I think that's what I see in the East. One thing, you know, just I guess living in New York for a couple of years, you know, the Rangers to see if they can, you know, finally put something together. I mean, they're pretty, pretty talented offensively. I think their defense struggles. You know, I don't trust Hank. <laughs> you know, I think – you know, Hank's kind of past his, I think he's definitely on the, the downside of his career, but I think if they're going to make a run and win something with Hank, this just has to be the year. So I guess that's what I'm looking for in the East and on the West. Well, hold on, know, hold it, on. Let me pick up there because the Rangers are set up in the sense that if Pittsburgh wants to repeat, they're, they have the second most points in the league and they're going to have to open round one against the team most likely who has the fourth most points in the league. And then if they want to win round two, they're probably going to have to play the team with the most points in the league. The Rangers kind of slithered their way out of that, and they get to play Montreal in the first round, who's essentially an equal to them. And then they would play the winner of Ottawa-Boston in the next round. So this this system is just awful. The NHL, to think that they changed all this because they think People are going to fit it, fill out playoff brackets like basketball. They're out of their mind. First of all, it's way too long. It's two months long. Anyone fills it out, forgets they filled it out by the time it ends. Second of all, there's not enough combinations. So half of your pool's mathematically eliminated after the the after the first round anyway. And third of all, you're hockey. You're not college basketball. So it's absolutely absurd. It's a horrible system. It needs to be changed. Um. That's what sticks out to me most in the East is how unfair the draw is for the teams in the Metropolitan, uh, unless you're the Rangers, who gets to slide down into the Atlantic, and uh, and as a wild card play, Montreal team who they have about the same amount of points for and a better goal differential then. So I don't know. I don't know how the NHL gets itself in this spot. What were you going to say about the West? I mean, it just it goes through one ta- uh, one team. I think I think Chicago is just until someone can really, you know, kind of dethrone them again this year. I think it's just got to go through Chicago. You know, I, last night, you know, you, they're resting most of their players, so you know, I, I, it's just tough to kind of put your money against anyone other than Chicago there in the West. Um, you know, they're just they're just too good, too experienced. You know, and, and until they kind of show. You know, they're a little bit vulnerable. I, I don't see anyone really going and beating them in the West. So I would, I would, you know, I think all roads go through Chicago, and I, I, I see them with a really good chance of repeating. It'll or be, not repeating, of, of getting another title, which would be their fourth in, you know, whatever, since two thousand ten. Since 2010. Yeah. It'll be interesting wow. to see McDavid in the playoffs. I heard he's probably already going to win the Conn Smythe. He just has to get into the playoffs, yeah. and he's probably going to win that. Uh, obviously, he starts the playoffs with nine assists, which is nice. So, <laughs> yeah, he's already leading the league. Yeah, in he's already points. leads the league in playoff points with nine assists. So that'll be nice. Uh, it, that's a little bit interesting. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of teams that I don't not care about. I've seen right? enough of yeah, San Jose. 
Enough of San Jose last year. No interest in Anaheim or Calgary or Nashville. Calgary maybe a little bit. They have some young players who are exciting to watch, Gaudreau and Bennett and things like that. Maybe they're a little bit interesting. But, man, the West is just a landmine of boringness. It is, yeah. And, again, you know, Chicago, 108 points, going to easily win it. And in round two, they're going to have to play the second-best team in the conference if Minnesota beats St. Louis. So, I don't know. It's Minnesota, I think, is a team that can kind of make a run. They're very, just very solid and, you know, kind of a, a – they're just, you know, I think just the ideal playoff team, the way they play hockey. So, I think, you know, that, that matchup there could be tough. I just think Minnesota, you know, is just kind of a team, when you have to play them in a seven-game series, can kind of wear on you. You know, they have great experience and big bodies. You know, I think they could be tough in the West. Um, but, you know, you still got to score the goals if you're going to, you know, try and keep up with Chicago. If you're looking for a stat that indicates that you're going to be in the playoffs in the NHL, it might be goal differential. Um, unless the Islanders slip in, there will only be one team with a negative goal differential, and that's Ottawa. And I think of the last eight or nine teams with a negative goal differential in the NHL playoffs. Only one of them is one around. Uh, so that doesn't bode well for Ottawa when the millions of you fill out your brackets. You might might, <laughs> might not want to rush Ottawa to round yeah, two. Those office pools, right? All but, those NHL yes. playoff office pools. I'm uh-huh. sure it will just be off and, and very you know, I'm sure everyone in the office will be asking you who you got in your NHL playoff bracket. Yep. Couldn't do one through eight with reseeding anymore because we wanted to get the buzz of brackets. People will be just filling out brackets. Yep, 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 yep. yep. Amanda, Amanda at the front desk wants to wants to put a bracket in for the NHL playoffs. So let's, you know, totally switch out the format. All right. With that said, we're going to take a break. This is what we're going to do the rest of the time. We're going to come back now with Damon Hack. Uh, again, remember, this was... Uh, before the slippery floor at the top of the stairs uh, got Dustin Johnson and eliminated him Allegedly. from the Masters. Uh, so we're going to talk with Damon Hack in a minute. Uh, I'll be back then for a book club update real quick on Cubsway, let you know what's going on with that. We do have a giveaway. Uh, then we'll be back with David Shoemaker from Ringer, and I'll close the show out with one last thing. And thanks for uh, doing three things with me. No problem. Good to be back on. All right, we'll be right back. All right, our next guest is from Los Angeles, California, graduate of UCLA. And uh, he's been with us from the beginning. He started chatting with us when he worked at SI and wrote the best gamers in the, across the NFL. Uh, and he stuck with us through his time at Golf Channel. He's making his 10th appearance today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Damon Hack. What's going on, Damon? Steve, how are you, buddy? I, I, it never gets old hearing that intro. Uh, it's the best and most unique one that I ever get to do. I do a lot of radio and podcasts, but this is my favorite one, pal. That means so much. You know, I, was, I had UCLA in my brackets. <laughs> so did I. Yeah. Oh, uh, it's a tough way to go out, and, and uh, Lonzo's leaving us. We've got 
the two younger ball brothers coming uh, in the next couple of years, but I, I hope they stay a while, you know? Goodness, stay a while. You know, Westwood's a great place to go to school. I know. I think I, I can't believe all how quickly these guys rush out. Did you see the documentary the about Simmons, the kid last year that went to LSU? He, it looked like no. they, they did a documentary on his time in college, and he was miserable. He hated it. He didn't want to be there. The second, the first semester wow. ended, he stopped going to classes. You know, because, like, once you're eligible for the second semester, you don't really even need to go to a second more of school. Oh, yeah. You're already thinking about the, right. thinking about the NBA or the NFL, what have you, no doubt about it. And they were trying to make him, and they suspended him a half or whatever, but there was really not much they could do. You know, he's basically told them, look it. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm here for basketball, and uh, I'm going to do that, and that's it. And, uh, exactly. Yeah. It was just a way station on the way to the to the league. North Carolina had a, quite a few seniors this year, though. Yeah, that's true. I, I tell you, I, I miss that. I, I, you can follow the players a little bit. You build a little rapport. You, you root for the teams, and you watch these kids grow. I'm kind of old school. I miss that. I come from the, you know, Patrick Ewing. You know, go, going all all four years at, at Georgetown. I mean, I I, I kind of miss that. And speaking of which, I'm Happy to see him get a head coaching job at his alma mater. Yeah, that's really cool. And and you know, uh, the um, my first like real like watching the tournament, like really watching it was watching that four year Duke run. You know, with the, yeah, with Leitner going all four years. Like that was right around when I started watching the tournament. And you know, yeah, you could really build storylines then, and and you you had rivalries. You had Duke and. Obviously UNC always, but you had uh, you know UNLV in the mix, and and you could watch, you know even Larry Johnson who transferred uh, to go to UNLV at least had him for his you know for a year or two at, at UNLV, and Stacy Ogman, you you watch these kids you know grow up a little bit now you you you, you say hi and bye in, in the same sense. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And how? What about golf? Do uh, do a lot of golfers leave college early? Like how long did Jordan Spieth play golf at Texas? Yeah, great question, Steve. One year, one, one year, year and done for him, and and uh, at the very least, he, he got a national championship uh, at Texas, and that was one of the reasons why he felt ready to leave. And, and he was mature enough. Clearly, we saw him winning as a 19-year-old the John Deere Classic uh, back in 2013. He finished second at the Masters in 14, won it in 15, second last year. So uh, it's rare. Tiger went to Stanford for two years. Um, a lot of these guys still go to college, but but you're seeing it more and more that the really really talented ones uh, they, they they also have the lure of the professional game, and some of them have proven that they have the maturity for the, the professional game. But yeah, Spieth is one of those that uh, didn't stay around uh, John Fields' program at Texas for very long. But if you ask John, uh, Spieth's one year had a lasting impact on recruiting, and and uh, the better. Jordan Spieth plays, the better it does for, for the University of Texas golf program. Right, and he's always doing it out there in the burnt orange, and uh, he looks like a Texas golfer still on tour. I mean, we were picking... No, he's a hook them horns, yeah, absolutely. We were picking on uh, basketball a little bit, but it's, it's not just them. I mean, hockey, Jack Eichel only played one year at BU before he turned pro to be the number two overall pick in the NHL draft. You know, it's, it's not just that. And obviously, football is the one sport where they have that rule built in for years now, which I'm sure they wouldn't be able right. to get in if they tried to put the rule in tomorrow. It would be tough, but 
they've had it for years where it's three years from your graduating class. So everyone's got to at least, you know, it's at least redshirt sophomores out there. So, yeah. That's sports, I guess. So let's talk about the Masters. It's Masters week. I always say that when the NCAA tournament gets to the the final four, uh, mm. I look forward to two things, opening day at baseball and the Masters. They're all right then, right after that. Um, it's a and, great time of year. Yeah, it really great, is. Great time of year. It's starting to get nice out again. You know, it's uh, well, that's not a problem for you, but up here <laughs> in the north, uh, you know, we, we're starting to enjoy a little bit of nice weather. And um, I heard an interesting thing yesterday about how Tiger Woods was the last or the only, the last and only favorite to win this tournament in the last 15 years. So that doesn't bode well for Dustin Johnson as we head into Thursday then. It doesn't, but uh, if anyone could shake that trend and who doesn't seem to be bothered by pressure or carrying that number one crown, uh, it's DJ. He's proven that he can bounce back from major championship calamity as he did last year at Oakmont to win his first major at the U.S. Open following all those, you know, heartbreaks and rule snafus and three putts and signing for, you know, a wrong card, or in his case, it was, it was, you know, putting his club and grounding it in the bunker at Whistling Straits back in 2010 at the PGA uh, and having to, to score or write a, a higher score on his card. But he, you know, his coach, Claude Harmon III, who works with uh, Butch Harmon, told me that nothing bothers Dustin Johnson. So while, while we've seen some players kind of shrink, uh, under that number one weight, uh, DJ's not one of them. Uh, it's interesting. Claude Harmon told me the only thing that they're really worried about with DJ is his focus and, and his, uh, his his energy level coming off of three wins. You know, his last three starts have been victories, and contention can take a lot out of players. So their only concern is just making sure that he's focused and rested this week because the game, the power off the tee, the wedge play, the putting, all you know things are in order right now for the number one player in the world. Yeah, and I want to get back to Dustin Johnson in a second, but real quick, just because you mentioned some of the mistakes with the scorecard and things in his past. What was your take on this ridiculousness in the LPGA this weekend? I mean, are we... Yeah, it remains a talking point, Steve. Even, uh, you know, the Masters kind of, uh, you know, blots out the sun in, in, in the game and, and definitely in sports, too. But this was... Uh, something that we continue to talk about into Masters Week. It's something Phil Mickelson talked about in the press center at the, the Masters. And I think a lot of people think that, uh, and from the people that we've spoken to, that two shots would have been appropriate, that she did improperly replace her ball. But the fact that uh, a caller from who knows where, uh, you know, alerted the LPGA a full day after, and uh, that led to the two additional strokes for Lexi signing an incorrect scorecard that she had no clue and no way of knowing was incorrect. So I think most people are saying, listen, she violated the rule. That's fine. But to tack on the extra two, to make it a four-shot penalty, um, was a little harsh and unfair since she could not have possibly known uh, because she was not alerted to it the, the, the day after. And had it happened on Sunday and the caller had called in on Monday, she would have been a major champion for a second time. So I think that's where people are shaking their heads, that she had no knowledge that she could have, uh, you know, signed that card incorrectly. You know, it seems simple to me in the sense that the rules officials should be held to the same standards as the players. When the uh, 
scorecard is signed, that's the end of that round. That's it. I mean, there's absolutely, especially in a major. There's plenty of people, plenty of cameras, plenty of people watching, plenty of people walking around. You know, there's no reason to let someone, God knows who, from God knows where, send an email. Um, it's just, mm. it's just, I don't know. As someone who's a casual golf no fan, sport. it happens ridiculous. in no other sport. You're not going to have no chance. Some fan calling in on Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah or Super Bowl Monday the day after and say, hey, you know what, there was holding on that left tackle. Well, okay, you know, that, that negates that uh, Tom Brady uh, touchdown pass so the Falcons win the Super Bowl. It's not going to happen in, in any, any other sport. So I think the, the governing bodies, they've been looking at the rules of golf. Uh, they're in this kind of six-month comment period with these 30 proposed rules, one of which uh, addresses reasonable doubt and, and video evidence and how it can be used. So would not shock me if uh, January 1st, 2019, uh, this specific situation is addressed and hopefully uh, for the betterment of all involved. All right, let's get back to the Masters and Dustin Johnson. This is a guy who's just totally, I, I don't know, like, it's almost like when he, I remember a couple of years ago, it was the first Fox US Open, and Wayne Gretzky and Paulina Gretzky and his baby, they're all standing out there and he's about to about to finally win his major and just didn't happen. It just all fell apart there. All of a sudden they're not showing Gretzky anymore and someone else wins that tournament. And you you worry about a guy at that point. It's like, oh my God, how do you recover from that? And it seems like since then it's it's went the opposite way for him, where it's like this guy is just I don't know if it's changes in his personal life have led to changes on the his mental game or what, but he's just he's turned into a superstar since that moment. I feel like he really has. Uh, he's a father. Uh, in fact, he and Paulina are expecting a second boy later on this year. Uh, he's had some challenges off the golf course, which he's talked about. Um, he was suspended from the PGA Tour for uh, you know what has been reported to be a drug suspension that he never admitted that specifically, but it was right. reported by a number of outlets, specifically golf.com. Um, whatever it was, it, it, there has been a maturing. I think it's been age. I think it's been fatherhood. And I think it's been just experience. And, and a lot of credit does go to Wayne Gretzky. I think uh, a lot of people consider the greatest hockey player of all time, or at least on the Mount Rushmore. Uh, and then also uh, the Harmons and, and Butch Harmon, who's worked with Tiger and Phil historically, his son, Claude, he's, Surrounded himself with the right people, and it sounds like uh, some people have compared him to, Do- to John Daly, saying, "You know what? Uh, sometimes he has not made great choices or surrounded himself with the best people." But right now, at this time of life, he seems to be doing exactly that. The talent has never been in question. He- he's working harder. Uh, I should give a shout out also to his trainer Joey D, who back in 2004 took Vijay Singh to number one in the world, and really established a, a tremendous training and workout regimen. And, you know, DJ similarly loves to work out, loves to be in the gym, loves to work on his game. Uh, all these things that have kind of worked in concert and worked in sync to help him on and off the golf course. I think we're seeing right now a man completely comfortable uh, in his life and in his skin, and, uh, and he's shooting the scores to prove it right now. Because golf, if anything, is a mental game, first, second, and third. 
Damon, I don't know if you play fantasy football, but when I get ready for one of my fantasy football drafts, I make these sheets, and I separate my players into tiers. I like to see them in tiers. So, like, I'll have my running backs, like, in, like, maybe a couple of years ago, tier one would be Adrian Peterson, and then I'd draw a line, and I'd have tier sure. twos. And when I think about golf right now, I think about Dustin Johnson, Jordan Spieth, and Rory McIlroy, and then I'm thinking about Jason Day. Do I put him, or do I draw the line? And then I kind of, and then I think that maybe there's a drop, and maybe it's Fowler and Rose, and then maybe another line. How how do you look at it? Like, where where would maybe be your first two tiers? Where would you separate it um, if you were Love making it. it? Love the yeah. question. Yeah, DJ definitely first tier, Spieth first tier, Rory first tier, and because he's been uh, number one in the world recently and has a runner up finish at the Masters and is a powerful player, I would put Jason Day. He has a great record. He would be a first-tier player. I might consider, you know, depending on how many players you go, if you're taking it all the way, if you had eight tiers, ten tiers, I still might sneak in a Justin Rose in the first tier who has a fine record and is a major champion uh, as well, gold medalist uh, last year. Uh, you, you get into that kind of blurry one-two tier. You've got uh, Phil Mickelson would be kind of on that border, a three-time champ who hasn't won a golf tournament since 2013, but his record around Augusta National is remarkable. Would be the oldest player since Nicholas to Donna Green Jacket. Henrik Stenson uh, turns 41 this week. Uh, won his first major championship last year. Has had some good moments at Augusta. That's when you're getting that second tier. Ricky Fowler, I think, would be in that second tier back in 2014, finishing the top five in all four major championships, including the Masters. Uh, won this year already. Uh, a wonderful player who, uh, you know, Butch Harmon has kind of worked his mental magic on. You know, then you get into the Jimmy Walkers and the Brant Snedekers and the Max Hoochers. Those are all kind of solid two-tier, uh, possibly upper three tiers. The the um, Tommy Fleetwoods, Brandon Grace, Louis Eustace, and Charles Schwartzel. You know, that's kind of the three-tier area also. Um, most people say at the Masters, only about three or four tiers can win. Uh, you, you know, you, you rarely have the bolt from the blue. Danny Willett, though, he was a surprise to some people, was a world-class player last year. Right. Um, but, but you're not going to have you know, the, the amateur uh, make the deep run. The John Rahm is, a, is an interesting character this year, age 22. I went to Arizona State to Phil Mickelson's alma mater and sometimes playing partner uh, who won this year, who finished runner-up to DJ uh, in Austin at the match play, another player with a lot of flair and power. Uh, he'd be kind of like a tier four player, but it's fun. I, I love doing the fantasy golfing, and that's kind of how I set my tiers. Yeah, the Vegas loves John Rom. Vegas has him at twenty to one. Rom. Well, if, if there's going to be a player to be the first player since Fuzzy in '79 to win his uh, first Masters in his debut, uh, John Rom has the game. He's asking the right questions. He's played practice rounds with Phil Mickelson. He knows that golf course as well as anybody who will play it this week. Uh, he just has that special talent. He's a, kind of an heir to the Seve Ballesteros, Jose Maria Olafable, uh Masters throne. He's from Spain. Great short game, great imagination. Uh, if not for the wins that are expected Thursday and Friday, which might uh, winnow the field even more to those that are, are more experienced, I think John Rahm would, would undoubtedly uh, have a chance to break through in his first Masters. Yeah, you mentioned the weather, and it's an interesting topic because I think there's a good chance Wednesday could be rained out, and then, like you said, really bad wind the first two days, and then maybe a beautiful weekend. Uh, is there a player or players that when you hear really bad wind, you're like, oh, man, 
it's not going to be their weekend. Or the opposite, like, oh, interesting. You know, that bad weather is going to hurt a lot of guys, but this guy might be able to weather the storm, so to speak. No pun intended. Yeah, it's interesting. I think because Rory's such a high ball hitter, he's going to have to really, you know, survive these first couple of days. And and uh, he has not always played well in the wind. He would tell you that. I think he's playing so well right now that, you know, we're starting to see uh, the things come together for him, uh, including the fact that he has three straight top tens at Augusta National uh, as he seeks to complete the career Grand Slam. But when I think of bad weather and having to scramble, I, I love Jordan Spieth and I love Zach Johnson, uh, both former Masters champions. Zach has two majors, uh, like Spieth, but uh, uh, Zach has them at the Masters and at the Open Championship uh, back in 2015 at St. Andrews. He's always been a fine, poor-weather player. Back in 07 when he won the Masters 10 years ago, uh, similarly cold temperatures and in a, in a heavy wind. So uh, Zach is someone who can lean on his short game and his wedges, much like Jordan Spieth. So when I see bad weather in the forecast, those are the two names, Zach Johnson and Jordan Spieth, who, of course, have great experience at Augusta National as well. Do you think Spieth is going to get the, little, the sweats a little bit when he – crosses the back nine for the first time you think uh yes he won't no. um but i think he's saying it because it's the right thing to say it. he's trying to pump himself up I, I think it'll have to be in the back of his mind he's played some practice rounds since last year birdied the hole during a practice round earlier this week hitting a tee shot to 12 uh uh, uh to a foot tapping it in and having some fun with the gallery saying i sure could have used that 12 months ago uh so he's trying to uh come in with the right attitude, but it's one thing to do it in the practice round. It's another thing to do it on a Thursday and even more to do it on Sunday. So I still think he's got some, some goblins to get rid of. It's, it's, the, it's the Masters. We all know of the great triumphs, but we also know of the great tragedies there. He's a part of both right. sides of that ledger, and he's going to have to get through it and uh, prove that it's behind him before we say it's behind him. A couple more quick ones, and I'll let you go. We're talking with David, David Hack, of course. Uh is there a guy that comes to mind when I say this player really needs a good weekend? He just needs it. He needs it for his game. He needs it for his mental abilities. He just he needs to have a good weekend this weekend. He can't. It can't be a miscut for this guy. Does anyone come to mind? I think it's Ricky Fowler, and I think that's a great question. You know, we focus so much on speech this week because of what happened last year, and Rory because he's seeking the career Grand Slam, and DJ because he's the world number one. The one guy who has as much Q rating, if, if not more, and is you know a, a sweetheart of, of Madison Avenue and, and Tinseltown and making commercials, it's Ricky Fowler. And he got the monkey off his back to a certain extent when he won the Players' Championship a couple of years ago. But I think until he wins a major, uh, he's going to be asked that question. And he even admitted it earlier this week. You know, He thought he would have won more. By now, and I think it's uh, it's a good, honest look that he gave himself. And I think that uh, when you make the money, he does. When you've got the notoriety that he does. When you've got the look and the endorsements, you need uh, you need a little more heft to the resume. Uh, he missed the cut here last year. He can't do the same this year. He needs a strong week, and uh, if he doesn't win, he needs a good major championship week. That if it doesn't give him a victory this week maybe bodes well for the U.S. Open, the Open, or the PGA Championship. Is there a guy that you like that no one's talking about that's just someone kind of in your pocket? Uh, maybe if you're doing, a, say, a six- or seven-guy draft, he's you got him for your fourth pick. 
uh, someone you like. Uh, maybe he doesn't win it, but he's in contention all weekend. Maybe the last three I do. groups on the course. Who's your guy? I really do. Mark Leishman from Australia, who won the Arnold Palmer Invitational earlier this year. We played with Adam Scott in the final group back in 2013. Hits a big cut, hits the ball a long way, loves Augusta National, has been in contention before, not a big name, will come in under the radar, little to no pressure, playing well as he's proven uh, already this season by winning last month. Mark Leishman, if you've got a fifth or sixth tier in your master's pool, that is my guy, and that should be yours, Mark Leishman. Who do you got winning it this weekend? Did you pick anyone yet? I have, Steve, so many great names, an abundance of storylines as it is every year at Augusta National. My pick to win his first green jacket and his fifth major championship and complete the elusive career Grand Slam despite the win forecast is one Rory McIlroy of Northern Ireland. It's his time. I believe it'll be his week. Yeah, that... That sounds like a good pick to me too. I, I know you. I was when you when you mentioned him earlier about the win. I was like, oh man, I, I feel like he's been doing so well, and I I liked him going into it too. So I think that's a that's a great pick. Uh, at Damon Hack GC on Twitter, this is a guy that's been with us since the beginning, and he's making his tenth appearance today, and and that just means I'm eternally grateful to someone who's willing to do this ten times. And uh, Damon, thank you so much. Uh, GolfChannel.com. Uh, the morning drive, he's there on Golf Channel. Anything else you want to plug, Damon? Uh, you know, we've got wall-to-wall coverage, morning drive, 6 a.m. on Thursday and Friday, 7 a.m. Saturday and Sunday, and live from the Masters all week long. And, buddy, uh, I'm, I'm glad it's our 10th, and I'm looking forward to the next 10. All right. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time today. I had a busy week. Anytime, buddy. All right, I want to thank Damon Hack for being on the podcast today. Don't forget, we recorded that before. Dustin Johnson fell down the stairs. <laughs> All right, quick book club update. I mentioned on the last show, we got a new book called The Cubs Way, The Zen of Building the Best Team in Baseball and Breaking the Curse by Tom Verducci. I'm really excited about this book. I loved uh, Verducci's book about the Yankees and Joe Torre Yankee years. Uh, and I'm really looking forward. Uh, Theo Epstein's a really interesting character to me. Paula apparently as well, interested in Theo. Maybe I'll read this to her at bedtime. Uh, I do have two copies, so I do have a copy to give away, uh, but not until Mr. Verducci's on the show. The book is available now, though. You can get it ahead of time before we give the copy away by... Uh, heading to the bookstore, picking one up, or Amazon, or wherever books are sold. Uh, Verducci will be on in a few weeks, and after that I'll give a copy of Away. But in the meantime, The Cubs' Way, the zen of building the best team in baseball and breaking the curse, uh, is available. My brother tells me uh, that Theo Epstein was on Pardon My Take, talking about the book. And I guess it's a cool interview, uh, so if you're interested in that. All right, we're going to take a break and come back with David Shoemaker from Ringer. This wasn't an easy one to ta- uh, to get in the books. We had some technical difficulties, uh, but here it is anyway. So we're going to take a break, uh, and on the other side, our buddy David Shoemaker.
All right, our next guest, he grew up in Texas. And he started writing about wrestling for Deadspin before he moved to Grantland, where we found out he had a name, a human name. And uh, now he works for Ringer. And uh, he's nice enough to join us in a busy week. Warren Sportscasters, welcome to David Shoemaker. What's up, man? You know, man, just the decompressing from WrestleMania. It's a, it's a, it's a busy week just trying to deal with everything, but it's um, a little bit of relief that it's all heading towards conclusion here. All right, so this is what I said. This is the absurdity of everything. So I said this to my wife. I said, just think of it like this. This was on um, Wednesday. I said, go back to last Monday. I said, the, the go-home show for Raw, right? You watch that three hours mm-hmm. long. Well, you watch that three hours, okay. You go on Tuesday then. It's a go-home show for SmackDown, two hours. Let's say you watch that. Then you're a big mark. You want to watch the last NXT before Mania, so you watch that on Wednesday. Take a quick break on Thursday. Maybe, you know, watch a movie or something else. Then Friday comes, <laughs> you watch the Hall of Fame. That was like four hours or something. I, When I loaded, I, like 1 o'clock in the morning on Friday, I opened it up on the app on my iPad, and the runtime was like four hours. I like zipped through it in 20 minutes. But let's just say you did all that. So it's four hours on Friday. Then Saturday comes, you have to watch NXT. So that was like two and a half hours. Then Sunday, it's a seven-hour WrestleMania if you want to watch all the matches. You have to get in at five. It's about a seven-hour mania. Then it's Monday again. And you have three hours of Raw, and Tuesday, and so on. Yeah, and the, I mean the, the the three hours of Raw are the most important three hours theoretically of the year because it's right. a reset, and right. uh, and SmackDown is now basically following suit. Yeah, man, it's a lot of wrestling. It's uh, I actually didn't go to WrestleMania in person this year for the first time in a while, um, and there you know there are a lot of reasons, but one of them was that it's just it, it really is just like an overwhelming amount of obligation just sitting in front of the tv and i wasn't quite sure why i was doing it in person um but yeah it's a it's it's a it's a lot to watch it's a lot to watch i mean it's you know if you look at it like a holiday it's it's uh it can be a whole lot of fun but um but man it's a lot first of all thank you and i know thank you very much i know that because you were going to be on last year after wrestlemania and you got hired by the ringer instead wise choice um and you said hey man uh i just got this new job i want to just lay out and i said no problem and so that was at mania time last year so when i was texting at mania this year i was like oh he's been at there he's been there a year then so i, I meant to say that at the top but i forgot so congratulations yeah on it's that. Been a, it, thanks man it's been a good time I, i'm very happy to be here very happy to be doing more than just writing about wrestling um but uh you know the opportunity to write about wrestling here is just amazing as, as it was every other stop along my my weird career yeah so it's basically like a three-pronged thing there you work for you work on the website like art design or something like that and then you do yeah i'm the art director right the art director and then you do your podcast and then you also do columns occasionally so it's like a three-pronged correct attack at ringer um that, that's right Tell me about the evolution of the podcast. I'm curious about this. Um, when you started it, you were kind of coming in and out, putting it on page 33 or whatever, like a separate feed. You're trying different people. Seems like now you got your own feed. You've kind of settled in with a co-host, um, and it seems like you're kind of starting to get your legs. How did it feel? I mean, you were at you were at 
cheap heat and then you kind of had to rebuild how did it feel like how do you feel now like after a year rebuilding and where you're at with the podcast um well i'm happy where i am uh being a you know it's it, it was a it was you know a lot to to process trying to start a new podcast that was sort of like could possibly i'm sure i'll ever be doing cheap heat um but you know that it's not ten, it wasn't tenable to keep that going right. once i started working here and um, yeah, you know, I mean, it, it, I, I, I just sort of fell into that, you know, into cheap heat and, and it, and it, it grew really organically and, and it's impossible to recreate that sort of, you know, fun and magic that we had, but, um, you know, and, and having to step back and think about it and actually like process what I wanted to do, um, you know, was the first time I really thought about it. So, uh, it, it's, it took a while what I thought was pretty interesting about the podcast is you kind of went from the Jesse the body role to the gorilla role. <laughs> you know, so how does it how does it feel to be the gorilla and have a Jesse instead of being the Jesse to Rosenberg's gorilla? Well, I mean, you know, I wasn't going to try to replace Rosenberg with another Rosenberg. I thought I mean that was that was a given from the beginning. So I mean, I, I'm I'm uh, I don't think we're quite at any sort of like. You know, I don't. I don't think we're at the fully evolved state of the Masked Man show yet. Um, I think I'll probably always be, um, you know, the guy who says "Welcome to the show" at the beginning. But, um, but you know, my my favorite shows are when there are three or even four people in the room, and I, uh, you know, have to talk the least. So um, it's it's just more fun to bounce ideas off different people. You know. You know what I want to ask you, too? I know I want to get to Mania because people aren't going to be as interested in this podcast stuff as I am. But since we talked last, the wrestling podcast world had the bomb of bombs dropped on us. And that is that we have basically a guy who spent 30 years in Vince McMahon's pocket giving up everything about a given topic. Uh on a weekly basis and it's like the greatest thing of all time um what do you think of pritchard and his decision to guess let out let out everything in anything with his 30 years at wwe where he did just about everything well i mean i love it i've said i'm on the record of saying i don't listen to wrestling podcasts really but i, I listen to pritchard um i think that you know i i, I think in a lot of ways we're sort of at like maximum payload for wrestling podcasts i mean there's an endless amount of space in the ether but you know there's a limited number of hours in the day and, and i'm and i'm as much a part of this problem uh as, as everybody else is i mean i'm doing my own show but um you know it takes a lot to stand out from the crowd and uh and and what pritchard's done is is just i mean it's, it's just such a joy you know um it's it's i i wish that um i mean part of me wishes that like there were that you know that it was more of a singular thing than it is you know i mean i wish that i wish that there were i wish that there were you know a, a, i wish that everybody in the world were listening to this podcast not just wrestling fans you know mm -hmm. but um but i but i do think there's something really kind of amazing and important about um about this just about wrestling podcasting especially for former wwe employees in general we just saw jim ross come back at wrestlemania to call the last match and then he subsequently announced he had signed a contract a new contract with them and um i'm working on a column right now that might not see the light of day and it's just not really awesome about the fact that wwe their entire mo since they were since vince you know 
since it became the WWE was to just swallow their competition and be the only show in town. And, um, you know, two of the biggest moments at WrestleMania or three of the biggest moments were Kurt Angle, the Hardy Boys, and Jim Ross, who all figure out a way to stay relevant outside of WWE. And uh, and for guys like JR and Richard, I mean, doing podcasts is, has been amazing for people like that. Yeah, Pritchard is a great point because I forgot he existed. You know what I mean? He had kind right. of faded away, and now, you know, TNA came back to him, I think, hoping to get the bump from him. Obviously not vice versa. You know? Yeah, absolutely true. And, I mean, he, he has a lot to offer, obviously. But he's just, um, as far as, you know, he told me, he's just working in, a, in an on-screen role for them. And, and uh, it's pretty amazing to think that you can just, like, go from podcasting to to being a you know on-screen talent for a wrestling company like that um well let's switch to mania a little bit you know i i always like to update you i mean i know you know from 85 to 95 ish i was pretty much as in as you could be in and then i dropped out came back 14 15 i was in and then i was out for like 12 years till wrestlemania 30 and I came back at 30, and everything I loved about where the product was when I came back has kind of faded off um, a little bit. But I'm hanging in there as a fan, and there was a lot I liked about WrestleMania, uh, but there was also some stuff that just felt weird or that I didn't like quite as much. Uh, the Observer does the thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle. What was it for you? I mean... I would say it's a, it's, it's a qualified thumbs up. I think that my overall enjoyment was sort of, um, you know, was sort of dampened by the fact that it was just, a, just such a nonstop barrage of like, you know, B plus content. Um, right. And, uh, you know, I, I, but I, but match to match, I mean, I, except with the exception of Wyatt versus Orton, I thought it was, I thought it was a pretty, a pretty stellar show. They made, um, they made just about every decision the way that, I mean, they're the right way. And I think a lot of the decisions they made weren't, you know, didn't, might not have seemed like the right way to your average fan going in, but, um, you know, wrestling is a very sort of primal form and they made a lot of just kind of very simple decisions and executed them very beautifully. And, uh, uh you know, I'm thinking specifically of the undertaker retiring, but, um, but yeah, I mean, they just, it, it was, it was a really, really solid show. And I think that, there's a lot of there's a lot of moments that upon reflection are gonna are gonna stand the test of time. You know, my brother said to me, he's like, wrestling for me is what golf is for you. I wanna come in for the majors, enjoy the majors, come back, know enough when the next major starts. He's that kind of wrestling fan and he left at ten forty five. He just didn't have anything left in him. And I know it's a silly thing, but they gotta find a way to make it shorter. That that's just it's just too long, and I hate to complain about something like that because I I don't know, but they got to find a way to. I don't know if WrestleMania is headed towards if they're serious about two brands, if they're going to have to be serious about two manias, because just by yeah. having two brands, you double everything: two tag titles, you know, two world titles. There's two of everything: two women's divisions, two of this, two of that, and it's just made everything too long. Yeah, I mean, and what we see every year is that the most vital feuds don't don't necessarily involve the title belts to begin with. I mean, Brock Lesnar versus Goldberg didn't need it particularly, and Undertaker's you know didn't need it. Triple H's match, whatever he does, won't need it. 
every year. Um, I don't know if splitting up the brands is the way to go. Maybe that's the smart move. But I've I've said before that I think they should go to two nights. I mean, just do NXT on Friday or mix the NXT matches into the main card and just do Saturday and Sunday. Just do it in two. I mean, because they're, they're already breaking, you know, wearing us down with all the content anyway. Uh, I mean, there's no reason why the Hall of Fame needs to be a primetime show. Um you know, there's there's a lot of ways they could do it, and I and I and I, uh, you know, as long as you have the arena rented out for, um, I mean, the, you know, you have the basketball arena rented out for all those nights. I, you know, I, it'd be interesting to see if they could do two nights, two nights in a football stadium. I'm sure Vince McMahon would be happy to to everybody he had sold all those tickets. Yeah, and it's like it's not like they're really counting on pay per view anymore. They can do anything they want with the network. I mean, they could, you know, they're not bound to that time anymore. That that crutch. I mean. They still sell some pay-per-view, but, I mean, at this point, more pay-per-view outlets have dropped them than kept them anyway, as far as I can tell. I don't know anyone who paid $70 for that or whatever they charge, so they could do whatever they want. Um, But they have to do something. Uh, Next topic, I'm just going to keep plowing through because I know our connections aren't great. You know I've been kind of a women's wrestling hater, and um, I try, man. I really, really do try. Um, and I, I think like a lot of things in wrestling, I've come to realize that some of the things I don't like about it aren't the fault of the performers. Um, I think that, you know, like, let's just take the SmackDown match, for example. This is a, an example of how I think women's wrestling fails and it's not their fault. So the announcement is made that the SmackDown championship match is going to be on the pre-show. And then there's this, apparently there's a ground swelling of outrage by that and it has to be moved then to the main show and it gets moved to a spot in the main show where they have no time to have a match and it's just total garbage and it's presented in a way where the they're telling me we don't have time for this they're just going to rush through it you're worn out anyway take a break and come back and watch undertaker like that's how they're presenting smackdown's women's wrestling to me in my opinion you know and then i watch the raw match and my complaint is one of my complaints I've had from the beginning with it is that they're they're put in a position where they just try too hard. It's like they the women's wrestling in general is coming up from the bottom to the top, and they 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 think that they, to get to the top, it's like it's got to be an A plus match every time, and it just can't be, and it just makes it so maddening to me. So that's where I'm at with women's wrestling reaction. Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's totally fair to say that WrestleMania was not. I mean, if you're looking for validation for the women's wrestling division in WWE, that WrestleMania was not you know the high water mark at all. Um, I think that you know, in general, uh, you know, multi person matches uh, at WrestleMania, just men or women. I mean, they, it, it just has the smack of a of a. Uh, uh, just a way to get more people on the roster. It's it certain. I mean, on, on the card, it, it right. definitely, it definitely has an air of illegitimacy or of just like unnecessary showmanship. Um, and and especially with the women's division, you know, coming off a decade plus of just sort of WrestleMania. I mean, uh, I'm sure that the numbers won't back this up, but it seems like every WrestleMania for so much of the '90s and 2000s was just put all the women in the ring at one time and just to just to get them on the show, right? Um, and, and so, you know, it, it, it wasn't a, it, it wasn't a great look, although the, the, the raw women's match was really good. Um, and the women's match, like you said, was, was, I mean, it was basically a, it was a rush the, the entire match exi- 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the entire thing existed um, for that, like, you know, Naomi wins in her hometown moment, which was not nearly as meaningful to the fans as it seems like WWE w- presumed it would be. I will say about the about the Raw women's match. Yeah. I mean, I, I can say with, uh, with complete confidence, Charlotte and Sasha have had one of the great years in professional wrestling together. I mean, one of the great year-long feuds on and off for a year, and, and they've had so many matches. I think you made the right point that like they're, they are trying to go out there and have a great match every night, and they're wrestling in their own shadow a little bit. You know, They're kind of chasing their tail, trying to figure out a way to have another four-star, five-star match every time they go out there. But, you know, I almost wish they would have just done, you know, the gimmick with the Sean versus Razor ladder match two, where the commissioner comes out and says, forget the storylines. We know the fans just want to see this match again. You know, here's the thing. And I know everyone loves uh, Sasha. And I don't totally get it. But it's really hard for me. I just, I don't, uh, I feel bad, but. I just don't find it believable at all that she could hurt Charlotte in any way. <laughs> I don't find uh, them that, to that be the... believable combatants. It's it's you know people watch them wrestle and they say that they had the best match in the history of women's wrestling, and all I see is a six foot three division one athlete, you know, a, wrestling against a girl who's wrestling her heart out, but she's five foot one, one hundred and ten pounds. And I just don't believe she can hurt her, and all I see is her hurting herself. Well, yeah, I mean, the hurting herself part is maybe a separate issue, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I take that. I think I'm just so far removed from the point where I needed that level of realism in my professional wrestling that, uh, <laughs> that, that I, I can see where you're coming from, but I can't say that I totally sympathize. Right. I mean, certainly it's not... You know, I mean, the women's division is not, with the exception of Nia Jax, really set up to be as, as, as traditional as some of the decisions they make are. It's not set up like old school wrestling where, you know, the stronger, bigger wrestler never leaves the ground and just fights with punches and bear hugs. Um, and the little one jumps around and wins with speed. They are just going out there and kind of giving it their all in every match. And I, you know, I mean, you make a good point. Uh, it really bothers me. Yeah. You're the one doing it right, and I'm the one doing it wrong in that sense, too, and I know it. And, you know, I I absolutely hated it two years ago, but I'm to the point where, man, I do respect the effort, and I do cringe sometimes when I watch Sasha because she reminds me of the female Daniel Bryan, kind of, um, where I just know that she's doing stuff that she's going to want back in 10 years or whatever, but... Um, God bless yeah, her. I mean, God she, bless she, her. She, I guess, she definitely, you know? you know, I mean, if if there's one, if there's one complaint with Sasha is that she's, she's, she's uh, reckless. I mean, she might be better, better than she gives herself credit for. I mean, she, she doesn't need to be to find a new way to almost break her neck in every match. I mean, that's, it's right. unnecessary and it does, that kind of stuff can take you out, can take me out anyway of the, of the viewing experience. And, and, you know, I could do without some of those top rope to, jumps to the outside of the ring and landing on your head. I mean, that's just not that's consistently hard to watch. I'll, I'll give you that. Well, instead of sounding like a curmudgeon, the sportscasts are here with David Shoemaker. He's at David Shoemaker on Twitter. Uh, the ringer.com is where you can find his work. Some of my favorite on the internet for years now. 
Um, his book is still available. One of my favorite wrestling books of all time. And his podcast, I think it's called The Masked Man Wrestling Podcast. As simple as that, right? The Masked Man Show. The yeah. Masked Man Show, okay. And you can find that, of course, on iTunes. Let's just do one thing, and then I'll let you get off the top of the parking garage before someone calls in a suicide. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> someone's on the top of the garage. I think they may be attempting suicide. I don't want that. Uh, so we'll try one more thing, and then I'll let you get back to work. Where do you want to see wrestling? And you can take this any way you want it. WWF, E, I mean, indies, other promotions, just in general. We just had the restart, as you called it, at Raw. Where do you want to see, ideally, the world of wrestling kind of go from here? Um, and I know that's really broad, but take it any way you want. Wow. I don't even know. That's, that's, I mean, that's an incredible, incredibly open-ended question. Um, I think that, um, you know, outside of the WWE, um, things are sort of headed in the right direction. I think that there's a lot of room for, for, you know, indie companies and, and international companies to evolve and, and to, uh, or to keep growing in, in, in the, in the U S marketplace. And I think that that's a net positive for wrestling fandom all over the place. Uh, I mean, within WWE, I mean, if they're, if they're as dedicated to, you know, if they're still as dedicated to nonstop expansion as they've always been, I mean, there were rumors recently that they were about to buy Ring of Honor, and then it was maybe it was the tape library. I mean, I know they were in talks to actually buy the company, but I mean, I would love to see them expand uh, sort of horizontally more than vertically, or vertically more than horizontally. Sorry, and and actually, you know, if I look at the success they've had with NXT and try to replicate that, um, you know, in maybe a couple of different spots around the country. Um, I think that despite the fact that we're, that there was a brand split, um, and there's such a glut of programming, you still, you know, they still run up against the same problem where, uh, there's only so much time. There's only so much room in the main event, um, for, for everybody. And, um, and it would be great to see, it would be great to see a lot of, you know, the guys and girls that don't, that, that don't consistently get a chance to shine on raw or SmackDown to, to get a chance to shine somewhere. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think that in a lot of ways, you know, there's a lot of good signs coming out of WWE. If you would ask me this question, you know, a few years ago, I would have said, you know, there's this guy named Kevin Steen on the Indies that there's no way they'll ever sign, but they should give him a, they should give him a look. You know, I mean, there's, there's, it, there's a whole world of women's wrestling that WWE pretends doesn't exist. There, there's, you know, uh, there's a list of people wrestling in Japan right now um, from not just like guys like Nakamura, but you know, guys like, uh, Prince Devitt and Finn Balor now who, who WWE should, should be hiring. And, and they, and they're doing that stuff, you know? I mean, I think that there's, I think that there's a, a sense in which they're, you know, we're, we are, we're already in that sort of alternate timeline. Um, and, and it's for the better, but you know, uh, all of that said, they still got a long way to go. So, you know, I, 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 I hesitate to say too many things specifically because they're doing a lot of things really well. Right. But, um, you know, I, I think, I think as a fan, just to put a bow on it, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know what, I don't know what they're missing. Um, I think a lot of it is that there's just too much necessary content right now. And there's not really a solution to that because if people are watching, they're going to keep producing. Um, but you know, it would be great to to feel a little bit more of that that 
unexpectedness and that just the just the verve of every time you turn on wrestling, uh, you're excited to see what happens. Yeah, I think that's really smart. Maybe just a little bit more unpredictability. Uh, one last really silly question, um, and you can answer it with a yes or no. Uh, do you think that that style Cena match should have been a five star match and not the four point seven five that Meltzer gave it? <laughs> um, I'm not. I'm never going to quibble with the Meltzer star rating. That's. I think that's. I've, I've never. I. I it's, I've never said that out loud. But. I, but that's a. Uh, you know. That. That. I. 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 I think he takes his ratings very seriously. <laughs> and. Um, you know. It, it's not. Not my place to second guess. I mean, I think that that there are. I mean, I've said I've said this. Out, I said out loud that John Cena has somehow magically transformed himself into one of the best, you know, in ring wrestlers on the roster over the past several five years. I don't know, um, but and there are a lot of there's a lot of you know a lot of people that agree with would agree with that statement. But at the same time, I I, I if you want to say it's like that you can't imagine Cena get ever having a five-star match. I would probably say that's fine. You know, I think that there's, I think you can do just about everything right in the ring and still not have a perfect match. Um, you know, there's just, there's just so many variables. Now that doesn't mean that everything that's gotten a five-star matches, you know, is that, that that's not the way I would necessarily rate everything. I think the things that happened, um, you know, in the lead up to that match, the, the, the feud that they had and the, and the uh, just the, just everything outside the ring, I think, was you know elevates it to a certain degree. But um, I mean, it was a really spectacular match. It seems silly to quibble with with anything about it, right? Uh, but I but I but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say it deserves that extra quarter point. Well, I just think, and I know it's silly, but I brought it up. I just think if he's gonna give the Omega Japan match six stars like a month earlier, that one's got to be five. <laughs> And look at, well, that's the problem. Right. You, you do it. You get, if you're doing it too long, then something eventually has to get six stars, right? I mean, right. that's the uh, it's 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 the same problem that WWE has. I mean, in some ways, the best way I always say the you know the, the 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 correct creative path is to just throw everything at the wall, or you know, get just use your best idea today, and then try to come up with something better tomorrow. Um, but the but you know, at some point, you're at some point, Shane McMahon is looking for something higher and higher to jump off of. You know, at some point, right. Jeff Hardy finds a forty-five foot ladder, um, and and that's not the that that's not the answer either. You you do you do have to uh, you do have to keep looking for new ceilings though when you when you've done something for as long as Meltzer has or, or WWE has. Hey, and I, you know I will go to death saying the greatest wrestling match of all time is Steve Moten Savage in WrestleMania three, and I watched it about six times this week. It's the 30th anniversary. <laughs> I watched it like six times over the week, and Meltzer gave that four and three-quarter stars too, so he's crazy anyway. All right, at David Shoemaker, <laughs> at David Shoemaker on Twitter, the squared circle life path to professional wrestling. I just wanted to mention this real quick. It's on sale for Kindle at seven ninety nine right now, which is a 56% discount. And there's also used copies on Amazon for as low as two eighty seven. Um, I think it's one of the best wrestling books ever written. The Squared Circle, Life Doctor Professional Wrestling. Look it up on Amazon. Also, TheRinger.com and The Masked Man Show. Anything else you want to promote, buddy? No, man. That's that's my entire resume right there. Well, thanks for plowing through. Now that we're done, it seems like you got a good connection. I, know, I finally made it to the roof, man, and I'm going to go down the stairs uh, delicately so as not to scare anybody. <laughs> thanks, bud. Thank you, man. Have a good day. You too.
All right, I want to thank David Shoemaker and Damon Hack for being on the podcast today. Don't forget you can find this podcast and all of our podcasts on our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash sports dash casters. You can also find us on Twitter at sports underscore casters. Uh, Anthony is at Dazer with three R's and at Don Lake Sports. You can email us at sportscasters at gmail.com. The Lonely End of the Rink podcast on Sunday night. Previewing the first round of the NHL playoffs. Adrian Dater and I find it on soundcloud.com slash lonely rink pod. All right. With that said, one last thing for me today. It's Friday, April 7th. Pearl Jam's going in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame tonight, and I don't want to get crazy here. There's no reason to uh, make this corny or over the top or ridiculous, but I think most people who know me identify me in two ways. A guy who likes Pearl Jam or a guy who loves the Saints. And I guess it depends on how you know me. I'm either a Saints guy or a Pearl Jam guy. By far, they've been the two most important things in my life before I had a family. And I think family is just kind of like obviously the most important thing in everyone's life. So you just kind of assume that. Um, But uh, the Hall of Fame is one of those things I think you, I think it was Neil Peart and Rush maybe who said he didn't think it was important until it actually happened. And when it happens, you realize it's important. I'm not sure why it's important, but it is. To me, it was really important that they were first ballot Hall of Famers because Nirvana was, I guess. I didn't want Nirvana to be first ballot Hall of Famers and Pearl Jam to be second ballot or, God forbid, 14th ballot like Rush was. Something ridiculous. But I don't know if maybe it's just makes your life validate it. It validates your life in some way. I mean, I've said many times on this show, you know, Pearl Jam's a soundtrack to my life. Well, it turns out my soundtrack isn't shit. It's Hall of Fame. So I guess no matter what happened in my life, at least the music was top of the line. I mean, if the soundtrack of my life was Creed or something, I mean, it'd be a double disaster. Not only would the soundtrack be shit, but so is my life, right? Not that my life is anywhere near as bad as Creed. God. I have to have 13 colon surgeries before I'd start talking that craziness. So I think that's part of it. I think it's just this acknowledgement that something you've poured your heart into, other people have recognized the greatness. You know, and there was a time there in the early 2000s when people were like, you know, oh, they're still around, or oh, they still play, or silly things people would say uh, while they were listening to Britney Spears and boy bands and things like that. Um, yeah, it's, it's just validating and it's just, I'm glad for them. And I, I think they care about it. I guess we'll find out. Obviously they didn't care about the Grammys, but I think the Grammys is a different animal. And I think the hall of fame, yeah, Eddie Vedder has inducted a bunch of people into it. The door at the doors, or you know, he performed with the doors. 
Definitely inducted the Ramones. Definitely inducted Neil Young. Uh, oh, he has that perform with the Doors. I think he inducted R.E.M. Definitely perform with them. Man on the Moon, if he didn't induct them. So he's always kind of been a part of it. So I know that he doesn't feel that it's some kind of marginal thing. Um, but I'm glad for them. I'm glad for Dave Cruzan, the drummer on Tad, who gets to be um, inducted. I don't feel too bad for Jack Irons. He's in anyway through his uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers work. Um, and Dave A. It's just proven to be so immature and such a baby. I'm not worried about him. And Matt Chamberlain was in the band for five minutes. So I'm sure he understands. Uh, but it's a very exciting uh, day for Pearl Jam fans. I am going to uh, be hopefully watching on Periscope tonight. My brothers and I are going down to the Hall of Fame to see their exhibit later in the month. Of course, we watch it on HBO when it airs, but congratulations, Pearl Jam. 